Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 18. Now, I want to get you caught up. We, as a church, we always have a book of the Bible we're working through. Uh, We've preached through a lot of them. And we started preaching through Matthew in January of 2022. So we're now two years in. We're at chapter 18, taking the long, long road. We're just going verse by verse, then we'll pause for a while, and we'll do a different series, and we'll come back. And today I'm excited. I love, this is my favorite kind of preaching. I just like jumping into the scripture. Here's what it says. Here's what I think the Lord is saying to us today. So I have a word today I'm excited about. But for those of you who weren't here uh, for our journey in Matthew, let me just get you caught up in what Matthew is trying to do. I know there's a lot of new people who are part of our church. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, Matthew was a first century tax collector that Jesus of Nazareth called to follow him. Matthew left everything and witnessed firsthand the ministry, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And Matthew is his book. It's his story about what Jesus did. And he's trying to do a certain thing for us in the story. He's first and foremost, he's trying to show you that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises and prophets. That the whole Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. And Matthew goes out of his way, and there's all kinds, we can't get into it today, but parallels to the Old Testament, even in how he lays out the book, the gospel. Matthew's purpose is also and ultimately to show us that Jesus is the king of heaven and the way to the kingdom is through him. The central message of Jesus is not just believe in me so that when you die someday you'll go to heaven, although we believe that to be true. The central message Jesus came was preaching repent or turn for the kingdom of God is at hand. That somehow through him that God could be experienced even in this life, in this life that we live right now. That, that he's constantly trying to reveal to us the world and the domain of God called the kingdom of heaven. Does that make sense? And then finally, Matthew is very interested in, particularly of, because of who he was. He was a, a like the, the crowds hated him. He was a reject, a cultural reject. And Matthew goes out of his way to tell stories to show that all people, especially people who are outcasts and alienated and rejected and unimportant people, all people who put their faith in Jesus experience salvation and transformation. Can anybody testify to that? It is true. So today we land in Matthew 18, and we're just going to look at four verses, and I think it's a super profound piece of text. You ready? Seven of you. Perfect. All right. So it tells us at that time the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him a question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, some translations say a little child. He brings a child before them and he says this. Truly I say to you, unless you turn or change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Disciples come and they ask a question. Now, if you are familiar with the Gospels, particularly with the story about the disciples, you'll know that there are times where they do things or say things or ask things where Jesus is beyond frustrated and basically just says, you idiots, no. Like there was time, one time uh, Jesus was being, uh, you know, offend, like they're, they're, he had offended a crowd and there were people kind of backbiting and the disciples say, Jesus, do you want us to, to call down lightning and char them? And Jesus is like, no, you idiots, no. There are other times where they'll ask him, like one time uh, one of their mothers came and asked Jesus, could my son sit at your right hand? And he's just like, you guys just don't get it. Uh, but this isn't one of those moments where Jesus ent- like responds in a frustrating manner. In fact, he doesn't reject their question at all. He, he accepts it and he answers it. And then their question is honest. It's actually a good question. They ask, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They want to know what does success in the kingdom of heaven look like? Like, Jesus, we've been following you for a couple of years now. We've, we believe you are who you say you are. We've seen you do unimaginable things, and we're taking it to the bank that the kingdom of heaven can be experienced. So tell us, teacher, 
What does it look like to be great in the kingdom of heaven? They're asking for a reproducible blueprint. Don't we do that in life? You, you look at somebody as a model of success that, okay, if we adopt those behaviors, we can succeed. Stephen Covey made millions of dollars by just pointing out some things that if you just did these things, you'd be successful. Like show up on time, say please and thank you, do what you say you're going to do. These are blueprints for success. Are they not? I talked, to a, I talked to a business executive at one of the big companies uh, in town. They said, man, it'd be a, if people just knew, if you just showed up on time and just did your job, you would be a rock star out in the industry right now. So it's, it's, there is a blueprint for success. Uh, we know this in relationships. If you've ever seen somebody's marriage that you admire, you'd be wise to say, what is it that you guys do that's made your marriage so successful? How do we copy that? How do we model that? We see it in sports. Uh, any basketball fans? I know me and four of us. Awesome. You know, like, like you, you'll have conversations. The talking heads will say, you know, the blueprint for the perfect player would be to have the athleticism of a LeBron James and the killer instinct of a Michael Jordan and the shot of Steph Curry and the handles of Kyrie and the body of Lemon Young. I could go all day, y'all. Some of you are like, basketball sucks. Okay, uh, baseball, what's the blueprint of the perfect player? Well, like a O'Shea, Shohei Otani, right? Like a guy who's an awesome pitcher and hitter. There's the blueprint. What's the blueprint for a franchise that's going to disappoint its fan base over and over and over again? The Toronto Maple Leafs. It's, it's the blueprint. It's the blueprint. Or how about politicians, like politics? What's the blueprint for a great politician? We want, how about somebody with the courage of a Winston Churchill and the conviction of an Abraham Lincoln and the heart of a Nelson Mandela and the hair of a Justin Trudeau. It is the, it is the, the blueprint for success. Just be really, really ridiculously good looking. It'll get you very far. Now, we know there are blueprints in life, and so the disciples come and they ask a legitimate good question, and Jesus does give them a good answer, which we're going to unpack, but they're asking, how do I succeed in the kingdom? How do I get all that you have for me, Jesus? You've been promising amazing things and showing us amazing things. I want to do this stuff. I want to experience all your goodness. How do I do it? And maybe you've asked that question, and if you haven't, you should. How do I get to experience everything that God has for me? How can my life look like what Jesus has in mind for it? How do I succeed in the mysterious, glorious reality of heaven? And I love that Jesus doesn't bat away their question. It's a fair and good question. Quite frankly, it's a question that Jesus wants us to ask. Jesus, how do I experience greatness in the kingdom? How do I grow? How do I flourish? How do I get changed and transformed into a kingdom version of myself? How does that work? And Jesus doesn't rebuke it. How many of you know that the will of God for your life is to transform you? And it's actually, it is to make you great, far greater than the world's standards of great. It's to actually transform you from glory to ever-increasing glory. That's incredible. Jesus one time said, you know what, I, 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 you will shine like stars, it says in Philippians. Like that when, God, when God has done his project on you, you will be so glorious, you won't even recognize yourself. Jesus promised glory. He says in Revelation, I'll give you a crown to those who overcome. He said to the, to the faithful servant, you are faithful with little, I'll make you faithful with much. I'll put you in charge over cities. God has glory and greatness in mind for us. Amen. And Jesus does not rebuke the question. He intends you to be great in the kingdom. So his question is not blown up, but he proceeds to blow up their paradigm. It tells us that he takes a small child. And we're told in some translations it actually goes out of the way to say a small child. In the original, in the Greek, it's small child. We're, we're talking like a kid age eight or younger. Uh, some, some scholars believe it might have actually been a little girl. But in any case, it's a small child. It says he took a small child. And he said, here's the blueprint. I'm going to answer your question, and here's what it looks like. Here's how you be great. He says, unless you change or turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So first, he makes an insight, and that is this. That there are ways that you and I go about greatness in the world that are the polar opposite of what leads to greatness in the kingdom. He says, unless you what? Unless you 
turn or change. That, that is the biblical picture of repentance. Repentance isn't feeling guilty. Repentance is having a change of mind and change of life. It's to actually turn into a new way. He is saying, in effect, you are going about greatness in the world this way, but I'm telling you, greatness is found that way. It's a whole different way that the aggression or the power that success goes with in the world looks different in the kingdom. That the early bird gets the worm, survival of the fittest, all those you know, recipes for success in the world won't get you anywhere in the kingdom according to Jesus. The markers of success in this world are often the polar opposite of what brings success in the kingdom. How many of you have been following Jesus long enough to know there are times where what is good in the kingdom and what is good in the world are at odds. You know, I, we, have, we have folks, you, you work in the marketplace. How many business owners know, like, there are things I can do to make my business do better that I know are against the grain of what God says is good. Or maybe you're a teacher in the public school system and you have convictions as a Christian, but you also know if I don't subscribe to these ideas, then I'm going to actually pay the price for it in the secular school system. Oftentimes, these values are at odds and we are stuck having to make decisions. And Jesus identifies that. He says, look, there's a different way altogether about being successful. Now hang with me. And he pulls forward this kid and he says, here's the recipe. Here's the blueprint for succeeding in the kingdom of heaven. You have to turn and intentionally adopt the ways of a child. You actually have to put on the ways of a child if you're going to be great. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven, according to Jesus, is the most childlike. Now, what does he have in mind there? What does Jesus mean by if you want to be great and you want to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God, you have to become childlike? Let's unpack that for a minute. I first want to talk about what it's not. Let's talk about humbling yourself and becoming like a child. Jesus says, humble yourself like this child and you'll be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let's answer a couple questions. First, how do we be humble? How do we be humble? What is humility? And second, how do we become childlike? I love that Jesus gave us a word picture. Are you thankful for that? You're going to be thinking about it all week, about this little child. Just picture a child. Picture yourself even as a little child being brought before the crowd and Jesus highlighting this as the example of what leads to success in the kingdom. How do we become childlike? Let's deal with the question of humility really first. Uh, first, let's talk about what humility is versus what it isn't. Humility, first and foremost, stay with me because we're getting somewhere. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. I know sometimes in the world you'll be presented as, a, like, this person's very humble, and they think down on themselves. Oh, I just suck. Oh, woe is me. Like, that's not actually humility. Humility is to not think less of yourself. In fact, if you degrade any human being, including yourself, it's actually a sin against God. God doesn't think you suck. And God doesn't think low of you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are created in the image of God, the imago Dei. The glory of God rests on you by your very nature, the fact that you're here. He says, it says he, he formed you in your mother's womb. He knows every hair on your head. You are so valuable to him. So anytime we start to degrade a human being, it's actually a sin against God. So that's not what he means when Jesus is calling us to humble ourselves. Don't think less of yourself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself less. You see the difference? I won't take credit for that word smithing. That is C.S. Lewis. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. A humble person simply sees others as more important than themselves. To operate in humility is merely to seek the elevation of others, interest in others above yourself. The opposite of humility is pride. It's self-focus. It's self-obsession. This is why somebody who thinks low of themselves can still be very proud. It's called false humility. The same way somebody who has a lot of money can be poor. Have you noticed that? There's something that happens in the heart that makes a person rich. It's also nice to have lots of money, but you know what I'm saying? It's the same with pride. You can think low of yourself and be very proud. Why? Because you're thinking of yourself a lot. You're focused on yourself. Uh, Lewis goes on to say in Mere Christianity, I love this quote. He says, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. 
He'll not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person. I love how British that is. And not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he's nobody. My, my wife loves when I do accents. She's like, you need to stop. You just need to not do that. You can't say smarmy like a maritimer, right? You got to put a little, a little English gentleman to it. Probably you will think about him, probably all you will think about the truly humble man is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. So when Jesus is calling us to humility, first and foremost, he's calling us to another way of thinking. And it's about getting our, our centeredness off of ourselves. Self-centered. So that's humility. Second, what does he mean by childlike? I'm going to give you three markers of childlikeness that I think he's calling us to. But before we do that, I want to say this. Jesus is not prescribing childish lives or childish faith. When Jesus says, I'm calling you to childlikeness, he's not inviting you to live a, a, a life that fails to mature. How many know maturity is what Jesus has in mind for us? Like a renewed mind. He wants to give us the mind of Christ, that we would know his thoughts, that we would know his words, that we would be transformed into his very image. He's not after us staying at some superficial, low-level immaturity we call, we call Christianity. And quite frankly, the church in the West has got to wake up to the fact that Jesus has much more for us than just being able to check some religious box that says, I went to church this week. Oh, that's, that's important what I just said there. He's not after shallow, superficial faith. He doesn't want your life to lack integrity. He wants you to be built up into the full measure, all the fullness of Christ. He, he doesn't want us to be simple or superficial or stupid or lack intelligence. Amen? He wants us to go deep. He wants us to think differently, to, to be shown mysteries. And ultimately, he doesn't want us. Childishness is selfishness, is it not? When a child is acting childish, it's because they're being completely self-absorbed and they can't see anybody else. That is not what Jesus is prescribing. He's not prescribing childishness. This is not invitation to be Christian Peter Pans. Right? He's not inviting you to live in some fantasy world where you never have to grow up. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He wants to reveal to you ultimate reality, even though it's hidden and even though it's mysterious. He wants you to reveal that to you, and he wants you to grow up. He wants you to become like him. Look at this. Look at what this says in Ephesians 4. This is one of the most profound texts you're going to see in the whole Scripture. And this is what God has in mind for us. It says, Christ gave us, the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers, those are offices in the church, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ, maybe say it with me, built up, transformed, built bigger, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become, say it with me, mature. He's after our maturity. Attaining Watch this. This is unbelievable. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you know what he said right there? He says God wants to engineer you and transform you in such a way that he can pour out all of his fullness in your life and you can, can, you can hold it. That's an unimaginable thought. All the fullness of Christ. So in as much as Jesus is full of peace, he wants to make you full of peace. In as much as Jesus is full of power and joy and intimacy with God, all the things that are true of Jesus, God is endeavoring to create in us the space to hold all the fullness of Christ. Oh, man, that is massive. What an invitation to depths, amen, and to heights and breadths, this, this just incredible life. So look what he says, and here's the byproduct. We'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. Y'all, this is why I refuse to do Peter Pan Church. You know, it's very tempting to try to just do what entertains people as a pastor. Do you know I want to be liked? Very much. I have feelings too, guys. I really do. And I don't like being disliked, but sometimes as a pastor, I can give people what they want or I can give what they need. And I am way more interested at this stage of my life and at this stage of my ministry, and I'm thankful for a church that this is true of, I am far more interested than having a crowd full of people attending but aren't full of Christ. 
I want people, I want to see our church built up into the full measure of all the fullness of Christ. That's what we're after here. We're not after just drawing a crowd. Coldplay can draw a crowd. Right? In fact, way dumber things than Coldplay can draw a crowd. (laughs) A crowd is not the measure. What is the measure is, are we being transformed in the full measure of all the fullness of Christ? I want to see the church full. Amen? But I want those people who are filling the church to be full of Jesus. That's what we're after. And so we can't settle for superficial Christianity. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're not going to. And we haven't been. That's why we dive deep. I trust you to dive into the scripture. Let's, Let's get in there and let's ask what the Lord wants to say to us. Okay. So if it's not childishness, how do we become childlike? I'm glad you asked. I have three shifts that I just want to draw out of that picture. I'm sure the Lord, if you ask him, will reveal other things about being childlike to you. But there are a few things he highlighted to me. Three life changes. Jesus said, unless you turn, right? So here's three changes I want to suggest to you. You ready? Oh, you're so ready. You're ready. All right. What's it like? It's, it's like minus 100 out and everyone's just feeling a little bit like sluggish, I feel. So I'll bring the energy for you. All right. Number one, change number one. We have to turn from cynicism. If we're going to be childlike in the way that I think Jesus is pointing to it, I first and foremost think it has to do with cynicism. We have to actually turn and intentionally engage our lives in the Lord in a constant state of wonder and amazement. How many of you know having wonder in your heart and this isn't a word, but we'll use it, amazeability in your life is an absolute key to the flow of the kingdom of God in your, in your life. That there's something that cynicism does that hijacks the flow of the kingdom of God in our lives. How many of you notice, I've noticed this, I, I, have, I have three kids, 15, 13, and 8. And so I've had babies, I've had toddlers, I've had little kids, and now I have teenagers. And so I have noticed in, in this, and I've noticed it myself, that if you find any kid under eight years old, they are inherently imaginative. Have you noticed that? Just like, they'll just imagine things. They'll play games. They'll just entertain themselves if you don't give them the iPad 24-7. It's very tempting as a parent. I'm not judging you. We do it too. Here, take this and shut up. You know, like, it's just, it's just a, it's a real thing. But they have imagination if you'll, if you'll work with them. Uh, they're naturally inquisitive. They ask all the questions, don't they? They're easily impressed. This, this goes with being a child. It's innate to being a child. But I've noticed as they become teenagers, they go from being imaginative or inquisitive to knowing everything. My daughter just went like this. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it happens. I don't know, but it just happens. No, where they, they, there's this natural shift that begins to happen, and, and it's necessary. It's necessary. But they get less inquisitive in some ways, way less imaginative, and we get harder to impress, don't we? And for most people, what happens as we age and mature in the world, our wonder begins to dissipate. It just naturally does. That there is a, there is a necessary and needed reckoning with the harshness of reality that every child has got to deal with. Is that not true? Like you can't, you can't live like there are no edges in the world. You, you will get hurt. And every human being has to figure that out, that the world is harsh and it is difficult. However, what can happen as you grow is that we can go from being, you know, full of imagination and wonder and amazement to where you get increasingly more guarded to the point where, and we live in a time where this is absolutely true, you go on social media, you can kind of live in this constant state of cynicism and skepticism. Can you not? It's very easy. I mean, it's the cultural air we live in of prove it to me or, you know, guilty until proven innocent. This cynical attitude. Why? How does that happen? Well, You live your life and hurts and disappointments stack up. You know, people who struggle to trust, there's a reason they struggle to trust, correct? They got hurt. Someone did something to them. 
You've experienced things. And then what happens? You start to realize that there are bad possibilities coming at me as, as often or maybe more often than good possibilities. You start to put your guard up. Is that not what we do? And you know what? That, that there's a world where that's smart. And Jesus doesn't say we need to go through this life just kind of blissfully unaware of the threats. In fact, he once said, be as wise as serpents and as shrewd as doves. Know the times. Figure out how to navigate. Be smart. That's part of being a mature Christian. However, you know, even though there's wisdom in having a certain degree of success, actually, it just came to mind. I remember reading an article one time. Uh, it was about personality profiles, and there was a study where they took all of the pessimistic chimps out of a collective of chimps, and they let just the, the, the wild and free ones run, and they all died. <laughs> so, so, so there's a world, there's a, there's a utility in the world for you pessimists, okay? Like, however, what is Jesus getting at? Why, why does he put this child in front? Here's, here's what you need to understand about cynicism and skepticism and pessimism. Cynicism is connected to unbelief. When it comes to your relationship with God and your perspective on the world, it's connected to unbelief, and unbelief closes us off to the things of God. When, when we operate in unbelief, you can't experience God. Did you notice what Jesus said? He said, unless you turn and become like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. That there is an attitude that actually is required upon entry. That if you're going to experience the kingdom of God, you actually have to adopt this, this kind of mentality. And so the only way in and up in the kingdom of God is through open, yielded, expectant hearts. I think this is what Jesus is getting at. And you, you wonder, okay, I don't see cynicism in the scripture. Yeah, you do. Uh, go back to the Old Testament. You know, remember the story of, uh, of Israel and Moses? Show of hands. Who remembers Moses? Most of you. Moses, God raised up to be the, the voice of deliverance to take the children of Israel out of slavery. Correct? You with me? Stay with me. And God did. They saw incredible things. Can you imagine being one of the Israelites? They watch as God, through miraculous works, just releases the grip of the Egyptians, delivers them, so delivered them that he actually, it says in the Scripture, you missed this, in Exodus it says, all the Egyptians gave their wealth to the Israelites and said, get out of here and take everything. Like so much favor, unimaginable. Not only that, but then God parts the ocean, the sea. They walk through it on dry land, come to the other side, and then they begin to go through the wilderness where they experience the miraculous hand of God every single day. God gives them manna, this supernatural bread, and it says that by day he led them by a cloud of his glory and at night a pillar of fire. Unimaginable, huh? Can you imagine seeing that? But it tells us that over time, the Israelites got complacent. They got so used to seeing God. Like, oh yeah, it's just a pillar of fire. Eh. It's just a cloud by day. Oh yeah, this stuff, yeah, it's just that supernatural bread. I'm kind of tired of it, actually. And this, this familiarity grows. And what happens when familiarity grows is contempt comes. And then contempt can move into skepticism, and skepticism can move into criticism. And did you know in the story of the children of Israel, they began to criticize God and say, actually, send us back to Egypt. At least they had watermelon. It's in the scripture. Like, they had better food. So we'd rather be slaves and have the watermelon, God. And you see this attitude rise up to where they get cynical. It says over and over, they grumbled and complained. And you know what happened? an entire generation were not able to enter into the promised land. That God had to raise up a new generation of children because the adults had failed to have the type of heart and mentality that kept an openness to the wonder and amazement of a God who would deliver them in such incredible ways. This is so important what I'm hitting on. If, if we are going to grow up and in the kingdom of God, we have got to have this heart that is open to the wonder of God, just the amazement of God, that our minds have got to be always switched on to this simple fact that my God is so big and so awesome, I wonder what he's going to do next. 
Remember that old Sunday school song? My God is so big, so strong, and so, any old school? Come on. There's nothing my God cannot do. Hooray! Yes. Some old school church people here. But it is, it's having that, it's having that mentality of God, you're awesome. And, and I have noticed in my life that I get into bad spaces when I get flippant and familiar and complacent with the wonder of who God is. That there's a direct correlation to the vitality of my life and how blown away I am by just the amazement of who God is. That there's some doorway that opens when I'm postured in this childlike space that just says, God, you're amazing. You're awesome. So how can we, how can we do this? Like, what, what are some distinctives? Well, first, I think imagination really matters. I think we run into problems when we stop imagining how incredible God is. When we stop considering how great he is. That's why the scripture tells us, set your mind on things above, not on things below. Fix your mind on things above where you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Like, like just consider him. Paul says, whatever's praiseworthy, whatever's true, whatever's good, think on these things. Amen? Like to have this imagination. Y'all, there are full books in the Bible that at very minimum, are just there to blow our minds. Like, read Revelation 4 and 5 when you go home and take it seriously and see if your brain doesn't start to melt a little bit. It's incredible. You know, I, I've had the experience, and I'm not going to say the name of the podcast because y'all will judge me, but I, I was sent a podcast, and it's been really good for my heart because it's this Christian podcast, and it's about, like, mysteries in the world. It's a little tinfoil hatty at times, and sometimes it's way out there. But it's always coming back to God is huge. The world is full of mysteries. I wonder what we can learn. And it's been super healthy for me to be reminded, oh, yeah, there's far more in this world that I've yet to discover. And more specifically, there's far more about God to know than I currently know. And there's some health that flows in. We take that lid off like, oh, I know Jesus. Yeah, not all the way you don't. There's stuff he wants to show you. So be imaginative. Take the, the lid off and then be inquisitive. Ask questions. Now, I know for us as parents, it's a touchy subject because all of us have parents, as parents have had that moment where we got to question 3,436 of the day from our child and we finally say, um, bud, that's it for the questions today. Right? Have you ever had any of other parents? You're like, no, it's just you, man. You're a bad dad. It's just you. No, we all, we all have our limit. Yeah, I got an amen right here. We all have our limit. Like, why? 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 I don't know. Right? Like, but when it comes to God, like, the scripture is very clear that God actually loves our questioning. In fact, it tells us in Proverbs 25, too, it says, like, that the, it's the glory of God. God glories in concealing a matter. Why? Why does he conceal things? So that we'll seek it out. God wants us to dig. God wants us to inquire. He wants us to have interest. He wants us to know how things work. He wants us to know who he is. It's just this innate thing in a child that I think we need to adopt, inquisitiveness. And then we need to be impressed. We can't lose the wonder of it. I have noticed in, like when my kids were little, like I have teenagers now, it's far harder to impress them. I'm a cool dad though, I am. Just, like my little guy, he's eight years old. I can put my basketball net down to seven feet and slam dunk it, and he thinks I'm LeBron James. It's like, I am LeBron James, son. Never forget it, right? And then my, my older boy will come and put it back up to 10 feet. Yeah, dunk it now, Dad. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, but there's this impressibility. There's this easy, you're easily blown away when you're a child. And I, think, I think that's part of what Jesus is pointing out, that we've got to recapture wonder. And how critical is it that we just marvel at the greatness and glory and goodness of God that we constantly, every day, just like, I mean, not in some deluded kind of in denial way, but we take time to just remind ourselves God is incredible. Look at this world he made. That, there, that I'll see his goodness in the land of the living. That, that God formed me and I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And even though from a young age I've done nothing to deserve it, he has loved me so 
fully that he would even send his son to die for me in my place because of my sin on my cross bearing my shame and he would rise again in victory and not just forgive me for all my past debts and sins but he'd offer me new life now and forever and ever and ever that I never need to be afraid. I know that he's got good things for me. I know all the promises of the Bible are true that yes and amen in Christ Jesus that that 2911 in Jeremiah that's mine for I know the plans I have for you says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future, not to harm you. That's for me. We have got to recapture wonder. God is incredible. Y'all, I'm not just raising my voice. Like, this is an absolute key. This is why worship is so important. This is why we sing songs. This is why we keep repeating songs, because you don't get it yet. And if you have a problem with repeating the chorus... I raise you, Revelation chapter 5. Forever and ever they sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory forever. Let's sing it again. Worthy is the Lamb. Why do we have to repeat these things? Because there's no end to the depth of that reality. And the moment we think we arrive at the revelation, we realize we're just at the door of the scratching the surface of what is true about God. He's incredible. He's amazing. May we not lose the wonder of our salvation and redemption. Amen? You've been forgiven by God. Like, He knows your life. He has your days marked out. He knows what's going to happen to you. And if you trust him, he'll bring you through, which brings me to my next point. Here's the next thing I would consider about kids. Are you with me? Can I take, can I take eight minutes and 21 seconds? I'm going to. Okay. I think we also need to consider, okay, Jesus brings this kid forward, become like this child. I I think there's a wonder we need to recapture. I think also when it comes to a child, we have to turn from independence and enhance our dependence and reliance on God. I think that's what Jesus is after. How many of you know in the world, uh, the marker of success, first and foremost, is how independent you are. When you are born as a baby, physiologically and in every single way, you are completely dependent on your parents, correct? Your parents, you depend on them to be fed, sheltered, changed, protected, directed, you know, scheduled, everything, 100% dependent. As the child grows in age, it is appropriate, if the parent is smart, to open up space where they need to depend on themselves a little bit more and less on you, correct? And you give more freedom for, for autonomy, that's part of maturity in the world. Just last night, my daughter, she, she, she went for a drive with her friend who just got her license. Like, we're there now. Great. Um, and it's like, it's, it's natural. It's part of maturing. And then when you become an adult, ideally, you are independent from your parents. So we're like, would you tell my 35-year-old video game playing son who lives in my basement that is what we're after? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, ideally you're independent. You, you, like, you, you have your own income. You take care of yourself. You, you make your own decisions. You have your own home. All those things, ideally. Success in the world is to go from dependence to what? Independence. Now, Jesus says, unless you change. So, in the kingdom, however, success is to go from independence to dependence. It's, it's, the, it's the mirror opposite. When you were born again and you, you started to follow Jesus, you were still a highly independent person. But the process of transformation and discipleship is to actually learn how to grow in increased dependence on God. Literally, not just platonically, literally learning how to interweave your life with the reality of God the Father. That's, that's what Jesus is getting at. Let me say it like this. Success and maturity in the world is tied to growth and independence. How many of you know being codependent in your life is a bad thing? It's bad. We have, a, we have a group at CR for that very thing. You need stuff from others that were never designed to give it. Like codependency will get you in all kinds of worlds of hurt. However, when it comes to your life in the kingdom with God, success and maturity in the kingdom is tied to growing increasingly dependent on God. It's actually voluntarily submitting more and more of your life to him. And Jesus ultimately is our example. Like the more you submit yourself and depend on God, the more life of the kingdom flows through. It's exactly how it works. You Think about Jesus. 
Here you have uh, the, the year that he was crucified and rose again. 33-year-old man, correct? Yep, 33, they think. At that time, he had multitudes following him, so he was 100% busier than any of us, correct? For sure. Like, he just had this little project called Saving the World, and he was doing it. What did, he, what did we see him model? One, he spent time constantly with the Father. Like, he, talk about a daddy's boy. Like, he constantly would break away and just go be alone with the Father. He was dependent on him with his time. He... He lived off what his dad said. Like he lived off of it. Like he just, he, he talked like him. He just regurgitated what he heard the father say. One time when he was tempted in the wilderness and the devil said, turn the stone into bread. You know, you know what Jesus said? He said, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the father's mouth. He, he lived off the words. Do you ever notice how kids can sound like their father? Jesus followed him so close. In fact, one time Jesus said, I do nothing unless I see my Father do it. Isn't that a wild thought to think there is, I don't do anything unless the Father is doing that? I'm, I'm, I'm modeling him so close. Dependency. Ultimately, I think this is crazy, he obeyed the Father. This is so foreign to us. He obeyed the Father as a 33-year-old man when the Father asked him to do something that he didn't want to do. How many of us would do that with our earthly parents. Like Jesus said, Father, take this cup from me. Remember this, this story in Gethsemane? Take this cup from me. Let, let this pass from me. I don't, I don't want to do this. You know what he said after that? Yet, not my will, your will be done if you say so, Dad. There is this dependency that Jesus modeled, and I think, this, I think we need to understand this. Maturity and growth in the kingdom, if you want to enter into the kingdom, if you want to be great in the kingdom, if you want to move up, if you want to succeed, it's connected to increased dependence on God. Literally, like your schedule makes room for him. Your opinions are increasingly formed like his opinions. Ah, oh, you just sound like your dad. I hope so. I hope so. The direction in your life is determined by him. Dad, what do you want me to do? Father, what do you want me to do? What would you have me do? My actions are determined by him. Even if I don't agree, oh, you, you say so, Dad. Let me ask you a question. Where in your life would you say, I, I, I'm depending on God in that area? God is literally after your dependence on him. That we would learn in everything to depend on him. I depend on him for my validation, my protection, my provision, my direction, my wisdom, my peace, my power, my satisfaction, the whole thing. He's like, come to me for that. I just feel that invitation for somebody. Like, like the, the God wants you. He, he actually made you needy, and he wants you to bring your need to him, where he will meet them and satisfy them. Do you know what the, the prayer of the saint is? It's, Lord, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. That's, that's the prayer of sainthood. You'll notice that the people who are closest to Jesus and they walk in the greatest degrees of glory are so dependent on him. I think that's what Jesus is getting at. Final thought. I'm going to invite uh, David to come back and tinkle the ivories so everyone knows I'm wrapping up. I'm done. I'm, I'm almost done. i got one minute and 23 seconds that's going to turn into five. Childlike <laughs> change number three. <laughs> turn from insecurity. Here, here's, here's where I, I want to land the plane. We have to turn from insecurity and embrace a life of security and confidence in God. I think at its heart, if you and I can learn to stay in that state of wonder and amazement about how great he is and awesome he is, and we can continue to learn how to grow in dependence and trust him, literally trust him in our lives, I think the net result is security. It's just security. It's peace. Confidence. It's to, it's to know my dad is big and he's good. There's nothing he can't do and there's no good thing he wouldn't do for me. And when you have that realization, it sets you free from fear and insecurity. Like think about, I, I was thinking about, I didn't want him to miss church. I was thinking about bringing my eight-year-old son Alex up here. I know this is true of him still. 
If I were to ask him, are you worried about supper? He would say, no. Are you worried about bills? He would say, no. Are you worried about social media likes? He would say, no, I'm not. I, would, I could ask him a myriad of things that we worry about, and my eight-year-old boy, to this point in his life, would, would 100% say, no, I'm not. And I would say, why? He goes, well, that's your problem, he would say. <laughs> Rightly so. Yes, son, you're right. I will shelter you and provide for you and look out for you in every single way I can. And when you grow and you learn that your dad is uh, limited in his ability to protect you, I hope that you will know that you have a Father in heaven. who actually can. Who really can save you in every way imaginable. And when you know that this Father loves you even better than I can love you. And He's for you even more than I'm for you. You will continue to not be afraid. When your heart is convinced of the greatness and grandeur and goodness of God the Father, it sets you free from ever being afraid. You're that kid that just says, ah, oh, dad's got it. What about that? Oh, dad'll, dad'll handle it. I've just been picturing all week Jesus like pulling that kid forward. It's like that, that, he said, I want that to be you. He said, oh, I'm 85 years old. He said, I want that to be you. But I'm a young adult and I'm single and I'm having a hard time. He said, I, I, at your core, I want you, I want you, just trust me. Just rest in me. You get to be a kid before him. I think I picture that kid in that crowd. She's not self-conscious, right? She's like, oh man, I can't believe I wore this today. If I knew Jesus was gonna center me out, I would've wore something different, right? She's not self-conscious. Why? Dad's right there. My dad loves me and thinks I'm awesome, so all you other chumps doesn't really matter, right? It's not worried about lunch. It's not worried about any of those things. Why? Because the Father's there. And I think, I think this is the invitation of the Spirit. And I don't, I don't know what you're going through right now in your life, but I just felt the Spirit want to just kind of shake you a little bit and like wake you up to the wonder of how great and powerful and mighty He is and then realize in some unimaginable mystery that your heart and mind can barely hold on to, that that God is for you. He loves you so deeply that he would send his one and only son to die in your place so that we all could become sons and daughters of the living God. That's why, that's why John, the apostle, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called, say it, Oh, say it with some conviction. We would be called children of God. And look, I love, I love that he repeats it because I think he knows we need it. And that is what we are. We are what? Children. children of God, yeah, in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on in chapter four, he says, there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. What's he saying? It's like, you just don't know God as a father. If you are afraid, you don't know God as a father. And how many of you know we live in a world that runs on fear? Doesn't it? Marketing and politicians and all the, all the powers of this world, they prey on yours and my insecurity. And Jesus is saying, come to me 
and be truly secure. You aren't an orphan anymore. And you don't have to be afraid of whether you're worth something anymore. Like you come to me, you have nothing to prove. How many of you know a little kid, my eight-year-old did not get up this morning and think, well, I better prove my worth to dad or he's going to have me on the street. Not at all. Because he doesn't have to. And he's not afraid of what's coming. There's nothing to fear. You want to be great in the kingdom, here's the way. Humble yourself and become like a child. Just stand to your feet, I want to pray for you. Humble yourself and become like a child. Wonder, dependence, security, confidence. Wonder, dependence, confidence. How do we do this? Can I just say before everyone checks out and leaves, learn to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Jesus is the, the power and the pattern of this. Do you know that? Like he's the picture for you to model, but he also gives you the power to do it. Like just, just fix your eyes on Jesus. Constantly focus on Jesus. He is the wonder of God manifested for us. He's the grace of God. Like, look to Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, just, uh, would you just open your hands to receive? Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, just send your, your presence in the room. Lord, I pray right now, uh, would you just, Holy Spirit, even in this season, even as a lot of us are, are fasting and approaching you, Lord, I ask uh, over my church family, over my brothers and sisters, uh, Lord, would you do a work of revelation, would you open our eyes and wonder again? Lord, forgive us when we've grown familiar and complacent with mysteries that even angels long to know. Lord, would you take us? Uh, Lord, take us back to the start. I mean, there's some people who might need a new start, Lord, but for those of us like maybe just got stale, would you take us back to the cross again? We'd be reminded of how greatly we've been saved. And how unimaginable is your love? Lord, you just shake us, refresh us. Take us back to the beginning. Help us recover our first love. Amaze us over again. Lord, forgive us for when we've thought low of you. Lord, I pray you teach us how to depend on you. Help us be daddy's boys, daddy's girls. Now, Holy Spirit, I ask... Even as your word tells us you do, and you're doing it right now, I sense it. But God, would you, Holy Spirit, speak to our spirits right now and convince the orphan in us give us the spirit that cries, Abba, Dad. You speak to the depths of our heart, Lord, mysteries that only you can. And things that only you can say and only, only you know about. Yeah, so just receive the love of the Father today, King's Church. You are loved. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's nothing you need to hide from the Father. There's nothing you need to prove. He just says, Come. Just be, be my kid. So we just receive that today, Holy Spirit. Renew our hearts and our minds. Give us a spirit of sonship instead of slavery in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.